0: You're about to listen to the amazing Trek Off podcast. But did you know there's also an amazing Trek Off movie in production right now? Watch the trailer at trekoffmovie.com. That's trekoffmovie.com. Also, if you want to hear over a 100 hours of Trek Off, you can find that at trekoffpodcast.com. Or search Trek Off in your iTunes or your pod feed or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Search for Trek Off. Finally, you can find lots more podcasts at Geeks Radio, the home of Trek Off, Podcast to Garrett and RJ go to Hollywood Ninjas versus You all at GeeksRadio.com Now enjoy Trek Off Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language that means explicit content and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts So don't get mad, it's just a shit It's time for Trek Off Enterprise Double D Welcome to Track Off. My name is Justin.
1: And my name is Alexia.
0: And today... To do, <laughs> today, today, I'm Slim Shady. Yes, I'm the real Shady. Yeah, sure you are. That's How much they, have
1: you had to drink again?
0: <laughs> that's the rumor that I just made up myself just now. <laughs> okay. Um. So uh on that note hey um we are going to have a very special guest very Indeed. soon um and we don't have a lot of time before we see sorry you know here's the thing i'm gonna stop right there this is bullshit i'm gonna stop there's no truth in this art we're just gonna come right out with the truth ladies and gentlemen we're recording this before we get to talk to david soboloff who we're gonna talk to in a minute and we're gonna like We keep doing this, man, right? So, you know, we've had quite a few guests on the show at this point, correct? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, we always, like, talk about the guests and, like, like before we have them on, and then we give them, like, the whole, like, here's everything they've done. Then we get them on, and we do, here's everything they've done again, and then... We, like, we try to be all coy up to that point, as if, like, the episode that they've just downloaded isn't like, David Somalov!
1: What I find funny is how you say we, as though I, some like, because you just, you're that you're the one that does that. That's, like, all you, my friend.
0: Well, that's some of us, that's my role.
1: <laughs> you're all, like, secretive, secretive, secret. Like, like, this is what's funny, is even in life, you're this way. <laughs> like, this is just, just, that's just how Justin is. Like, hey. something cool happened. But I won't tell you about it just yet. I'll hey. wait and I'll hey. take it.
0: <laughs> hey. um, so uh, I'm not really like that in real life. And I will tell you why at a later time.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> He'll yell at me at a later time and be like, and that's why I'm not, bitch.
0: <laughs> Here's why. Yeah. yes, yeah. It's it's a very big and important reason that I will reveal it some point two months from now. Um, <laughs> So uh so I wanted to get in before we got into uh some awesome conversation that we're gonna have with that gentleman. Uh I wanted to hear about your week, man, and hear what you've been up to. What's your like not your week, like it's been like 20 something days. We've wow. it's been a long time since we've gone this long. That um, good. That's so, bad. Um I will go into all my stuff, but suffice to say, last time you heard me, I was starting to feel sick, and only now am I starting to feel better. Aww. So hence uh a lot of our absence, but what yeah. have you been up to, man? What have you been doing?
1: Um, gosh, what have I been doing? Um, I don't know, nothing. Watching
0: while we're doing our show from you. <coughs> I didn't just text you. I texted okay, you. My
1: phone just told me, like, so That's you need to understand that my phone is poo ass, <laughs> and it's been trying to get me to buy a new iPhone for a long time now because I haven't wait for it. An iPhone four.
0: Your 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 phone your phone is like, Mrs. Lincoln, don't go to the theater.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Damn it, Siri! Bitch. fucking Siri, <laughs> and how she causes national upheaval. Um, have you been watching any Star Trek?
1: Of course I have. Okay, but I, here's the story that I need to tell you about Star Trek. Okay. Oh
0: boy. So
1: um, so one day, I wake up. You know, like I do. And, you know, my sort of, I guess, tradition or habit or what have you is I get up, you know, Daryl makes me a lovely breakfast. Uh, and then I watch Star Trek while I eat said lovely breakfast, right? So I'm like all ready to do that. And and we turn on, you know, whatever it happens to be the PS4, the Xbox one, whatever, and go to the Netflix and it doesn't work. It says there's no connection. I'm like, um, I'm like, what? Um, What? I'm like, call, call Cox, find out what the fuck. So like he's on the phone. They're like, well, we don't know. And so like he goes outside and finds that like our drop like to the house is like in the road. Like it has come down, like for whatever reason. And they're like, okay, well, we'll send someone out tomorrow. And I'm like, Tomorrow? I have to go all of today without the internet? no netflix and this is when i started to break down i was like see honey this is why this is why i have to actually own all of the star trek on discs because because this could happen and now i have to go all day without any star trek i
0: I wonder is, is it like that moment at the end of the cable guy where like where like he opens a book like huh what is this?
1: <laughs> no. What is this collection
0: of pages?
1: In I need front you to understand. Me? I have plenty of media. I have a shit ton of media, and I actually do have Star Trek. So, like, the day was saved. I just put on the original series Blu-rays that I had. But what I'm saying, what I'm trying to communicate right now is, at the time, as I, as you know, I'm in the middle of a rewatch of DS9, right? And I'm and where, are, where are you? Somewhere in season three at this point. Right. Uh, so, so like,
0: no, so it's gotten good now.
1: Yeah. Shit has heated up. Like the dominion is encroaching and like shit is falling apart. And like, I needed to know what happens next. And like, I couldn't watch it and it was not fine. Like I was really, really upset about it. Like spoiler
0: alert, cupcakes. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. If come, it's important. I mean, yeah, if you're watching DS9, listen, I want all of you to go rewatch DS9 right now and just keep watching until you see the cupcakes. All right and quit your jobs if you have to, and just keep watching because the cupcakes. I'm lying. There are no cupcakes. I'm you're just a terrible. I don't,
1: I don't remember any cupcakes. That's fucked up, man.
0: I know. Yeah, someone like turned off like our show at that point and said, "Fuck yeah, I'm going to do that." And they stopped before that point where I said I was. What like, you just said kidding. you
1: were just kidding. Oh Jesus! You just fucked somebody's life up, dude. I, I know. <laughs> <happy>. Someone, someone, <laughs> somebody emails <and> goes,
0: Listen. <laughs> it's like fucking like. I I I did what you said there were no cupcakes. There were no fucking cupcakes you lied. You said before there's no truth in this art. Um <laughs> the cake is a lie. The cake is a lie. Um hey, speaking of not cupcakes, um we have something huge to announce. We have something enormous to announce, especially if you are somewhere in the New York tri-state area. Indeed. What are we doing?
1: Well, I think we we sort of talked and we we said that we would maybe go to New York and, uh, fun. you know, for funsies and uh, and do a live truck off in Times Square or something. Yes, I think that might have been something we talked about. So I think maybe we're going to do that.
0: And what are we going to do while we're there?
1: Not sure what you're getting at. I don't know if we want to tell everybody about that stuff.
0: here's here's an an interesting conversation I had today
1: (coughs) listen it was a legit conversation it was not what you thought
0: (laughs) so we're we're traveling to New York to do a live trek off for the people out there and it's going to be at a place I it's, it's 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 is it in Midtown Comics is that where it is
1: um I you know this is terrible. I don't know. Where it's in, is it gonna be? It's in Discovery Times Square. So unless there's unless Midtown Comics is in Discovery Times Square, then probably not.
0: All right. So I'm gonna look up where we're performing right now. Yeah.
1: Like 'cause my <laughs> you know, my sister asked me the same thing because she lives in Jersey and she's gonna come see us um for for this on Monday. And she was like, Where's the venue? Like the tickets don't really say, or something like that, I think is what she said. I was like, What? <laughs> like, um uh, no, it's in Times Here we go. Square. Let's check
0: this out. It's at Discovery Times Square. Um, not uh, so uh, wow, it's that's a museum. I've never been there. I know. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm really excited. There, you know, this is what it says. Look, we're on their website, like on the front of their website. That's amazing. It says, <laughs> New York Super Week is coming. Join us October sixth. That's Monday. When we host Trek Off Podcast Live, please visit New York Super Week to order your tickets. Um cool? so uh so yeah, man, this is uh this is a big deal. First it's of all, exciting. Yeah, we've we've never like done a show like that real, but this is like a giant show, eight PM to ten PM uh at the New York Super Week. At uh, at Discovery Times Square, and you can find that by going to uh, their website. So uh, come so, like, check us out if you know and you if, you, and if you want, And if you want more information specifically, uh, and you don't want to go to their website, ask us and send us a message on our Facebook. Yeah, we so tell you that's happening, boy. So you guys are like enough of this, man. Let's hear some David Sobolov. So without further ado, by uh, fucked that up. It was amazing. <laughs> so without further ado, adieu, ladies and gentlemen, our guest was born in January 2155 um, and uh, was an evil monster on the Starship Defiant. Um, our guest uh, is a robot. Our guest um, is a destroyer many times over our 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 guest is a wolverine like uh awesome fighter but in the dc universe many times over uh our guest um is uh what else can i do our our guest is not one but many klingons our guest uh i mean i could just keep going on and on like you really could like this this uh just just go on to IMDb and look up David Sobolov on IMDb, and you will see that very likely you have watched him, played him. Uh, but that's not my experience with the gentleman we're about to talk to. This is someone whose name I have been hearing uh, from a dear friend of mine, my brother, my my comrade in arms, my uh, hetero life mate, Daniel Ross. Um <laughs> has has been uh talking uh about this gentleman for years and i am super incredibly intrigued and excited to finally meet the one the only david Sobolov. hello
2: yay hello yay. <laughs> um, that was like the nicest intro i've ever had in my life thanks
0: well we're like it's really exciting there i have a thousand questions that uh we want to a- ask you and i want to i was going to say i but um alexia is going to jump in and she um, will yeah, want to i
1: really want to ask lots of stuff too like you can't just take this one over like you always
0: do dude well <laughs> why because um because i said so bitch <laughs> um, uh, so uh look i let's get before we go all the way into it i'm going to give Alexi a chance to ask one geeky question
2: go
1: Okay, but can it not be Star Trek? Because we're going to totally talk about that, like, a lot.
2: It can yes. be anything you want my oh, okay.
1: okay, great. Because, all right, um, I'm really ridiculous, and I'm, like, five, which you'll learn very quickly. Um, so I am super excited to ask you about what it was like to be Bumble Blast for Skylanders.
2: Ah. You know i I love that so much because it's comedy i get I do serious stuff so much, and it's just fun to do something wacky and zany and, and and light and and it's also awesome to go to conventions and little kids recognize it, and they just get all excited and thrilled and and I have them turn their heads and do it in their in their ears and they jump up and down, so that makes me happy.
1: Oh my God, see because that would be me too because I said, like I said, I'm five. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Warm. The perfect <laughs> warm. Oh, that's so great.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. That's so uh, cool. I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, David <laughs> Sumbleov, ladies and gentlemen. No. <laughs> um uh I wanna take you back um because uh um you, sir, uh have information up on uh the always truthful Wikipedia. Um. Uh. So. Uh. It says here that you are you are from the true north, uh, Ontario, Canada.
2: I was born in Windsor near Detroit. Um. Right across the border. Actually, Windsor is south of Detroit, so it's not really the true north up there.
0: So it's the south. It's the north of the. How do, how, how does that work? So Detroit it's
2: is south of Detroit. There's a little <laughs> peninsula that that goes down below. You know that song. Um, bone and raised in South Detroit. There is the yeah. South yeah. Detroit. That's Canada.
0: Well, I can I just can't talk to you for now because now it's in my head. Thank you, David. <laughs> uh, uh, it truly is. I'm just going now. It's a city boy. Um, uh, so uh, take us from there, man. Because uh, you, uh, at one point, you studied acting in New York. So uh, bring us there. You you leave uh, Canada um, uh-huh. and you go to New York. What happens next?
2: I well actually after after Windsor I went and I was a French horn player for a while I made my living doing pit orchestras and I studied music at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and then I slung back to New York and studied with Sanford Meisner who some people know.
0: Uh, yeah uh the meisner <laughs> technique some just people a, might know yeah. who that is or something. just a little just a little yes. tiny we're bit. both
1: actors we kind of know who that is <laughs>
0: <laughs> um
1: so you drop that name and we're like what yeah.
0: I'm like I, I'm like I I went to the theater lab for some voiceover right? classes. I You're
1: like I did. Miser. Conservatory. I did Miser. Fuck.
0: What was so? so was what,
2: study, I, study, studying with Miser has been hugely important to my voice acting career because I don't think they were thinking that they were graduating students that would end up in voice acting. I didn't even know I would be in voice acting, but it's you know you go where people will hire you eventually if you want to make your living at this, and for many years that's what I've been doing and. I approach my characters in a different way. I think than a lot of people because of my training at the playhouse, I'm acting it. There's characters that are put in front of me. I don't have a million wacky voices up my sleeve. I just make it up on the spot depending on the circumstances of that character. So it's kind of a different way of approaching it.
1: I like that though. I think that's cool. Like I, I would, I think that's probably why you get a lot of work just saying, cause it makes you really good.
2: Well, I, I I won't speak to that. You know, you, you could speak to that if you want, but I, I'm not going to toot my own horn like that, but I think... Uh, but you are I, a, I will
1: toot it for you, good sir, because I have heard,
0: and you're fucking great.
2: And if you toot but your I, own
0: horn, it has to be a French horn.
2: I, got a horn that, I have a horn here to toot. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a model T. That's a horn from a model T car from 1915 or something.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, now, uh, we all have those in our houses, though. I mean, really, uh, anybody who's ever so I'm going to let everyone in behind the curtain. Anybody who's ever studied acting, uh, when you finish your first class, they hire they they give you horns for Model T's and just you have to carry them around in your pocket.
2: And I've had um, this my whole
0: life. Um, right. It's never been washed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so there's, uh, before we get into all the voice acting stuff, the, I do want to know about uh, the musical, musical theater and acapella, specifically the acapella, but I want to know what shows did you do in music? Cause we, I am a student of musical theater and, and, and what shows were, were the ones that you're most proud of? Did you enjoy the most? Did, in your-
2: I mostly did cabaret kind of stuff, or I was the equity professional actor. They would bring in as a ringer, you know, in, in various shows, but I, my voice is so deep, you know, I don't, can't really do the traditional musical theater theater roles but i well for instance one time here's a little story stephen sondheim's agent has really far far reaching uh, uh ways of collecting information And i was in vancouver there was a little town near white rock uh, along the u.s canadian border that was doing a sondheim review and you're not supposed to make up your own sondheim reviews because they don't like that apparently they have their own pre stuff if it's not an actual musical that he did and they got Sold. They had sold ten ten days of sold out performances, and it was three days before the show. And Sondheim's agent found out about it, and they shut them down. And I got a call because I'd been doing a lot of singing at that point, and they said, "Bring every song you have and, and get down here." And we made up a show in three days.
0: Like wow. it's a, that's like a Judy Garland movie. That's, that's the like
2: kind of stuff, that's the kind of stuff I did.
0: That's incredible. As, as a so this is a total non sequitur, but if you are you a fan of Sondheim in particular? Oh, like, yeah. was, so. Yeah, um, we are out here in in Washington D.C. and uh, there's a there's a guy near us who just put on an alt metal remake of Sweeney Todd.
2: Um, <laughs> I would love to see that
0: with 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 Stephen Sondheim's personal blessing. Uh. Um, uh, and it was they didn't they expected it to be a little lark. It sold out every show. They wish they 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 weren't able to push it forward, but it was just. Uh, I, I love the idea that that can be revamped. So as a student of musical theater, it's, it's fun to share that with someone because I tell my wife and she's like, I like Sweeney Todd. Johnny Depp is nice. And that's about it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, don't you understand? Um, so I, so how do you make that transition? So you're in there, you're doing theater, you're doing musical theater. Uh, what, how do you cross over?
2: Well, I was in Vancouver and people started hearing the deep voice and an agent at one point approached me and he goes, you got this deep voice thing happening, why don't you try and come and do villains? So I started doing cartoons in Vancouver years ago, and it went fairly well, fairly quickly. And a couple years later, uh, I had this friend who was a uh, manager, and without actually asking me, he made five appointments at five different agents in Los Angeles. And since my parents are American, even though I was born in Canada, I could easily cross the border and start working. So I just flew down, did the interviews, and said, okay, I'm going to try this. So I I moved down to L.A. It was 14 years ago. Wow.
0: And so, what 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 was that first job? And what was it like doing that first job?
2: The first LA job or the first Vancouver job?
0: I would say let's say the let's say the first job where you were getting paid a a decent wage to do something just with your voice. You step into a studio for the first time. Well, What's that experience? One like? of
2: the one of the very first jobs um, were the well the shows that I was doing in the '90s. You know, when I did Beast Wars and I did RoboCop and I did Sabrina the Animated Series. That was really, you know, aside from a couple of guest shots, that was really my first work. And since I'd studied acting, it was not that hard of a transition to jump in and do it. It was a little nerve-wracking, and you know, like, could I actually be good enough to not get fired? But it, it went okay. The, um, the RoboCop show was kind of interesting because they really didn't want me. They were just having me introduce scratch, which means just you know doing a placeholder voice until they can get the person they want. And I could hear them in Los Angeles every single show we did, having celebrities on the line listening to what I was doing. Hey, can you do his voice? And after about seven episodes, they couldn't find anybody that would work for what I would work for. Probably let <laughs> <Hey>, me <bloody laughs> do it.
0: So, were you still Vancouver when you were doing Transformers and Robocop, or is that after you made the transition?
2: I missed that first part. Say again.
0: Were you still were you were you still in Canada when you were doing uh you this is you you had made the trip to L A at this point?
2: No, Beast Wars was done in Vancouver, completely in Vancouver.
0: Oh wow! So, so, so when did as our as we've talked about before in the show, um, our dear friend Daniel has just uh, gone out to uh, to seek his fortune in. Uh, yeah. In uh, in the state of my birth in California, um, what uh, what is that like? And and did you meet resistance? And did people believe in you, or do you have any of those stories where people are like you will never become anything? Be you know what 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 happened there?
2: Well, a couple of things. When I first moved down here, I was thirty four, I think. And the first thing they said to me was, you know, you have all these U.S. credits now, awesome. You know that got me in the door, but you have to start over. And if you were over forty, we wouldn't even be talking to you.
0: Wow. Even as a voice actor,
2: yeah, because they're just you know, there's sort of this feeling that if you haven't got a long resume by then, you probably aren't serious about it, so they don't take you seriously. And it takes a long time to get accepted here. You know, anybody who's starting out here, you'll even if you're great, you'll be auditioning for a while because they'll be listening to your voice in the auditions. And okay, let's see if he's consistent. Um, okay, it's been about six months. I've been listening to his auditions. I guess I'll give him one line. You know, they'll, they'll slowly break you in like that.
1: Wow. I had no they, idea. You
2: know, it's always the same people that I see. It's it's not an easy thing to break into. They they need to know that you can deliver because they really don't have time to teach you how to do it when you're there.
0: Well, and I think there's a there's there's a sense, uh certainly that I had when I was first starting out, um as an actor, which I sort of I jumped that ship to go do the writing and directing thing. But back back when I was doing that I, I had that sense of well, voice acting, I can do that. Anyway, that, oh how easy. You show up and there's a microphone there and that should be fine. Um, ah,
2: I get and, a lot of people approaching me now just thinking that way. And I, I try to be, I don't want to squish people's dreams, but at the same time, I've been doing this for 20 years and that's why I have a career because I just didn't give up. And you have to sacrifice a lot to do this with your life.
0: Yeah, well, that's and it was, it was through my experience of, of A, doing it a couple of times and realizing, holy shit, this is work. Like, this is hard. This is like, like I showed up, I showed up like when I, because my first experience sitting down in front of the mic was uh, in doing a voice acting thing was, uh um, was I walked into the room feeling like this is going to be an easy day compared to doing commercials industrials. This is, this is going to be cake. I walked out emotionally drained and physically drained and almost like feel like it, it took stamina that I, that I, that i I honestly ended up deciding that i i didn 't have the the uh emotional or sort of mental wherewithal to pull it off
2: um, well it's it 's beyond acting it 's imagine you 've got to imagine everything you, your face isn 't there you know you can do, make all the faces you want, but no one 's going to see them at home. You know, and they're not, it doesn 't matter how good looking you are or, or uh, even if you match the character type that you 're doing, but you have to be able to imagine everything that 's happening and match the intensity and and listen and answer with the other actors and it, you know it 's for me it feels very natural, but I, again i 've been doing it for a long time i 've seen especially on camera celebrities I saw one actually break into tears because wow. she just couldn 't get it she yeah, was me. used to you know she was used to having certain things that just made sense on camera that don't even apply and it didn't compute for her. Well, so what is
1: something I've always wondered about like do you like I don't, I feel like I from what I've seen like in behind the scenes kind of stuff like it kind of changes from you know project to project but do you actually have somebody there to interact with because i think for like from an acting standpoint that would be the bigger hurdle like it's always different when you're like reading with an actual actor if you just like go into an audition there's just like a reader there like there's so much more you have to build at that point because you don't have somebody to play off of is that part of the challenge of doing the voice work because you usually don't or do you find that more often than not you actually do have another actor to, to play off
2: of in animation, you almost always have someone to play off of um, if you if everyone's being able to be there that week. So it's like a radio play for the most part. Uh, some shows are stricter about it than others. Uh, I noticed that in the second year of a show, sometimes the, you get fewer and fewer people showing up to the, the mm-hmm. session, and they just they pick up their voices later on. But I really try to, if I know the schedule, you know, I'm doing a show now that I, I can't speak of, but it's every couple of weeks. So... I know the schedule for the next year, and I'm going to try to make sure that I'm free so that, you know, that time is kind of sacred and I get to go in with the the whole cast whenever I can. Um, But, yeah, in video games, you're by yourself. Animation, you're usually with a group of people.
1: So in video games, that's the one thing that because so I play a lot of video games as well. So like the thing that always occurs to me, like particularly when I'm like building a character and like, you know, a lot of times then they'll like have like the you pick a voice sometimes and it'll be like they go through it like I'm speaking like a lot of times in like fighting games, but in other games, too, like where you'll hear like a little snippet of them getting, you know, in a fight, right? Sort of specifically, which is just like grunts and uh, gurgles and things like that. And I always feel like, what must that day be like? You know what I mean? For you guys, when you go in there and it's like, huh,
2: ah, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like,
1: you just, do you know, like, is it fun? Do you feel silly? Do you break down and laugh? Like, how does that go?
2: We try to do the efforts at the end of the session so we don't destroy our voices, but some characters are all screaming. And you just have to decide, you know, what. well, you find out what's, what you're able to do and you have to decide if you're willing to do it because it can jeopardize other work sometimes if you're, if you're screaming one day and then you have to do something with full voice the next day. There's only one game that I've ever done that actually felt like it was going to destroy my voice, and that was um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare where I played Lieutenant Vasquez, and that was scream, 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 scream for hours. And i talked talk like this for about six months. I didn't <laughs> oh. think I would ever get my voice back, but it finally recovered.
1: Wow. Did you, so there's no, like, tricks that you guys have? Because like, I know singers have, like, they, like, remedies or whatever when their voice goes out, but, like, there isn't a way to combat that? Like, you just kind of have to hope that it comes back?
2: <laughs> Everybody has uh, a different way of handling it. My way of handling it is to... Uh, really watch when I'm auditioning to give them a voice that isn't super screamy, that is still compelling enough to be cast, but won't kill me. Because whatever you do in the audition, you have to repeat when you actually get cast. Also, mm-hmm. vocal rest. You know, I, I, again, everybody has these, like, especially Fred Tattashore, he's got a whole bunch of remedies that he uses. But for me, it's just when I'm not working or doing an interview like this, I'm texting. I'm on the computer, I'm not really talking to people. I rest my voice almost all the time when I'm not working or, or socializing, you know. So just I spend many hours a day silent.
1: Interesting. So you're a little bit like Silent Bob in your real life.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: uh, which is a great transition because um, uh, I, I wonder, because you, your, your resume is in many ways, um, the word I guess would be geektastic. In uh, oh, yeah. in that I look through it and I go I go oh, I like Marvel oh he did that oh I like DC oh yeah no well so I'm more of a Star Trek but I do like Star War oh, like across like in terms of of the of the top ten things like if unless you were a member of bare naked ladies it would be hard for you to be less and like more involved in stuff that formed me as a geek so I was wondering, do you like do you have genres or 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 I guess franchises that you are a giant geek toward yourself.
2: I'm not a super geeky guy. I'm kind of more into doing it than than geeking out. I actually geek out with the fans that are geeking out. It's like a it's like a waveform uh, modulation of geekness because when I go to the fan conventions and they're excited about what I'm doing, I get more excited about what I'm doing because I know that people are loving it. Um, I like, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on this podcast, but I do prefer Star Trek to a lot of different things. That always meant a lot. So I'm very happy that I've gotten to do a couple of Star Trek projects and I hope I get to do more. Um, and of course, Transformers, I've done enough of now that I'm kind of ensconced in that in that lore, having done two major roles in two of the series. So I quite have, a, quite have an affinity with that community as well. But I kind of geek out about everything that I do. You know, I get very enthused about what I do. I think something that helps me get work is the fact that I really do still care about this, even though I've been doing it for over 20 years. I show up, I play the part, I get excited about it, I help promote it, and I just stay like I, I was you know, when I was a lot younger, and it just never went away. My love for this never went away.
0: So so what is uh outside of the work what, like is it sports is it food What is what is what 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 is David Sobolov's off hours uh consumption of media and or fun like
2: it's um very much like anyone else um you know I I like episodic television I like really well acted episodic television something I'm getting into right now is that a show called Manhattan about the Manhattan project in World War 2 uh, just Breaking Bad was great um, American Horror Story I'm really looking forward to stuff like that just really well acted dramas and uh, hang out with friends go to movies not really a lot of sports I used to be a bodybuilder you know, I did that for a while for fun and my main hobby that almost anybody, no one knows about is that I collect product packages from the 1880s to the 1960s and I've been doing that since I was 10 years old really and my whole place is full of them it looks like an old store for the 50s oh that's
0: wow incredible that's really cool that is yeah,
2: cool. That's, that's my hobby
0: um i was as a side note i have a i have an eight-year-old and i was just talking we live um i live very close to a uh to a, a town that has been restored and kept like it was back in the 1860s called harper's ferry
2: um, oh i've been to harper's ferry west virginia
0: yeah. So, um, I, so I live in Maryland right underneath it. And, uh, and I was explaining to him today, like what it's like to go there and see, cause they have all the, like all those old brands, they have a general store where you can see precisely what they would buy. Um, so it's interesting to hear somebody bring that up within literally five hours of trying to explain that he's going, so like, do they have like old TVs there? I'm like, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I like products that still exist today but the old versions of it and, and people seem to know that I when I find out I do this I get stuff. Just stuff magically arrives. Like this this very old fellow who's cleaning out his house What a nice guy. He gave me this Minute Maid orange juice can from the 1940s. Just stuff like that. I love that stuff. I've got a Philadelphia cream cheese wooden box from about 1920. Um, Looking over here, I've got a a Tide box when it first came out the first six months in 1953.
1: Oh, my gosh. So do you watch like the Antiques Roadshow and that kind of stuff, too? Like, because you're into that, like, do they ever do you ever find that showing up on those kinds of shows?
2: Not really, because mostly they're going for the bigger stuff. This stuff is interesting. When when eBay first started, this stuff got enormously expensive, and now it's very cheap again. Um, but this stuff is really rare, because like I have a Ritz cracker box with a great story. I don't know if you have time to hear all this all of um, stories, yes. but yes, we
0: do, this is awesome. <laughs> uh,
2: this Ritz cracker box I'm looking at right now is from 1943. And it was buried in a barrel, sealed in wax, underneath somebody's cabin in Oregon, in case the Japanese attacked. They would have food. It was unearthed in two thousand five, sold on eBay. I got it, and it still spelled like cheese in two thousand five.
1: Oh my god, oh <laughs> that's so crazy.
2: So yeah, that's really like cool. I with this stuff. Yeah, I love it.
0: That's, I mean, it's such a, it's, it's such a unique, uh, like, it's like. I, I don't have the words. It's my, my dad used to collect Civil War bullets. I did comic books, of course. We all know that Daniel Ross has um, a, a ridiculous Transformers collection. Um, you, you do know this, right? Like, So I'm going to spoil things about Daniel. You do know that Daniel is not only an actor, but was a collector for a long
2: time, right? Yes, I do.
0: Yeah. Um, I I have helped him move before.
2: Um, <laughs> I know he had a lot of stuff at one time.
0: Um, well, it's... it's, it's it's astounding. And uh, at one point, I like I give him a hard time. And then I had a, a child, a boy, um, who when he was six, Daniel gave him his first Transformer. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so then there I am by his seventh birthday spending ridiculous amounts on eBay because I'm not going to get him these new Transformer. And I know you did Prime and, and I know you did Beast Wars, but I'm going to find that Optimus Prime that my dad wouldn't buy from me.
2: If you um, got $500 you can get one.
0: No, you can get you can get one for 20 if you don't want them to have a trailer oh. or or hands.
2: Okay. <laughs> who who needs hands? <laughs> yeah, who needs so hands?
0: Rated anyway, right? He
2: needs those sticking hands.
0: He's Optimus fucking Prime. He doesn't need, he doesn't need hands. hands. Damn right. <laughs> um, uh, so okay, so this is uh, as you know a Star Trek podcast. So let's jump in, man. Um I I want to hit the Gorn second because I want to know uh, playing Klingons. Uh, uh, how does one approach right. play, playing Klingons, and and is there something you do to differentiate them from one another?
2: Well, you act the moment that they're in, and we you know here's here's the whole story of Star Trek Into Darkness from my <laughs> perspective. Um, Mark Okren personally worked with us. We were so blessed. The inventor of the start of the Klingon language was there with us to make sure that every syllable was exactly right. And Fred Tatasciore and me did all the Klingon voices in that movie. And we don't really know for sure, but we've kind of compared notes, and we think that Fred is the voice that's on the ship coming to the planet, and then I'm all of the voices on the planet. We're pretty sure that that's what happened. We had the exact same text, and we both did it, and then they decided what to use. And the crazy thing is, I can't remember the exact number of lines, but I think it was around 34 different lines that we recorded for that, and they only, on the planet, used two lines, and they copied them. It was the same line that they just copied and pasted. Really? Yeah, and huh. I was amazed. I, I would love to see if there's, like, some uh, special feature or something somewhere where they used all all of our work. Because, boy, and I don't speak Klingon, and I apologize because I'm going to just say gibberish now. But it was like Charo coming to America. The older people know what that means. <laughs> Cause I I was doing it by rote, I did, and Mark was explaining to me what I was saying. He initially provided a tape for us which I, of course, have and no one else will ever hear because that would not be allowed. But I have that cool thing in my computer, which is Mark Okren saying all the words that I had to say. And so that was the initial study where we just had to learn how to say that exactly. Then, of course, we had a script that showed us what each of the the lines meant. And not being fluent in Klingon or even knowing one or two words, I was just able to sound like those guys. So that's how I was cast, you know, they, they gave me initial tape, I auditioned for it, I got the role, then I'm in there with Mark, and every it's very rare that this happens. Usually, if there's somebody coaching you, or there's a, a director, they're on a, the other side of some glass, but with me, he was right there beside me in a teeny little booth in J.J. J. Abrams' studio, and we were looking at the screen, and, and seeing the picture, and speaking to the picture, so there would be a moment where uh, there would be somebody in really close combat and we'd have a line for that, or shouting far away, or getting killed. You know, I did all the efforts, you know, the, all the uh, 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 all that stuff, <laughs> and also all the words. Well, boy, and this won't be Klingon, I'm just going to say a couple words here, but it was supposed to be, okay, and I said, okay. no, not acceptable. The fans know this stuff, I'm sure what I just said, I hope it wasn't a swear word in Klingon, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, but, exacting, it was. And I love working like that. I love it when people care about what they're doing because that makes my job so much more fun and just makes it worthwhile. When you know everybody cares about it, it's, it's, all, it's so much fun. So we spent a long time making sure that every syllable was exact and all the intonation was right and all the excitement. This is not. This was not a high school project. This was, what was this yeah. like $150 million, $200 million. They're not yeah. fooling around so it had to be perfect and we made it perfect and i hope someday some of those lines surface that we did but it was still great to be a part of it
1: well so the we, footage then it wasn't there either right so you're the like footage they, was
2: there. the footage was there we got to see every, we were working to picture
1: okay so you were you're seeing the scene so like that's how you know how to emotionally connect with what yes. it, that you're saying um but did did all of the because you were saying that you were sort of matching what was happening on the screen and those were the lines that you were given like were the scenes cut differently so that they that those lines just never made it in because the whole scene was different or is no, it or they scenes, it was it was just
2: it was all the same scenes it was just a... same thing yeah i don't i don't know for sure but i think it was pretty much the same that we saw on screen ended up in the movie but it ended up being just all of my efforts <laughs> I Meaning, you know, all my fight sounds, and not a lot of dialogue, but you know J.J. Abrams decided that that's what he wanted, and you we're a guest in their house. it's their uh, picture. he can do whatever he wants. I'm just happy to be a part of it
0: well, and you know i I think he's going to be okay um I I've, I've, okay. he's working on another small picture now um out in London uh <laughs> that they're shooting, so um I'm sure it's going to I'm sure it's going to make one or two dollars
2: um Probably. I imagine.
0: Uh, it starts with star as well, but I don't know what the rest of it is. Um, um, Mark is a cool guy. So we did, we did, a, a, we're uh, doing a documentary version of our show and we did an interview with Mark. Um, uh, and uh, he was so cool and he was so interesting. He uh, told a story when they were doing Star Trek Six. Um, where he where he said, you know, he is writing uh, the dialogue um, as they're going through and doing the as they're going through and doing um, the lines. And Christopher Plummer was the bad guy in Star Trek six. Um, and uh, he is he is uh, quoting Shakespeare in Klingon. And, and Mark was telling a story where he said that Klingon was designed to be an active language where all they were all they had were uh, active verbs. There were no passive verbs. And uh, and that was how he designed it. it was very specific in the way that he designed the Klingon language to be like that. And they come at him at the very beginning of Star Trek six where there's going to be more Klingon than there's ever been. And they go, how do you say to be or not to be? <laughs> and, he, and, and he just hangs his head. He's like, really? <laughs> um, uh, and so he, he ended up coming with something was like, like, and I, I am now butchering it, um, which is, I'm the one with the Star Trek podcast, so there's no excuse for this. But he, but it's like, <laughs> Tov, Tova, Tove, and that's what he, he kind of put it out. And Christopher Plummer looks at it and he says it to him and he goes, no, Mark, it's going to have to be something different than that. <laughs> 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 and so he ends up coming with something like, Tocha, which is instead of to, to, it's not to be or not to be but it's like like to do and have done or not to do or have done um which also <laughs> kinds of works <laughs> um, but mark takes a real say which is funny that like when you meet him and i'm sure you had this experience he's like kind of a very almost shy kind of demure guy he
2: is um, but boy you know he when you're when you're working in a movie he's very engaged and he's yeah. very, he's very encouraging. He's like a, he's like a, a teacher that really cares about his students. He wanted, he knew that I wanted it to be perfect, and he wanted it to be perfect along with me. So he was right there with me, making sure that it was great. Well, he wasn't I, bullying her at all. He was just very supportive and sweet.
0: Yeah, it's 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 it, it. I couldn't believe when I met him that this harsh, intense, violent language came out of this this just very lovely gentleman that I was meeting. Um, it was pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah, he fun guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. So, uh, have has he ever told the world how the first words in Klingon were written? Um, Do the fans know that?
0: I, our fans don't, um, and I don't. So, I would love to hear.
2: Now, right? you you need to fill in the blanks for things that I don't know. Now, James Doohan, um, who was Scotty, uh, was in Star Trek II, correct? Yes. Yes. I think it was Star Trek Two. It was one of the early Star Trek movies, and they had been having Klingons speak English for years, and they decided they wanted them to speak another language. Well, no, this, would, um, this
0: would be the first. Actually, yeah, this is the very first Star Trek. The Star Trek the motion the picture. The first Star Trek. Okay. The I, picture, yeah.
2: James, I didn't know which one it was, but I knew that James Doohan was responsible. There was an actor on the set that had to do four or five lines in Klingon, and he's the one that wrote those words, Interesting. according to Mark Oakran
0: and then mark mark had to sort of extrapolate from that
2: yeah because those were established and he was you know he was stuck with them and he had to create a real language out of what already existed wow. that's brilliant because the guy was kind of struggling, like, "What am I going to say?" It was all improv, and and James Dewan wrote a bunch of stuff down. He just says, "Say this, say this, kid," something
0: like that. That's right, and That's and now it. and now they're actually doing like you can go into bookstores or back when those used to exist and get <laughs> uh, and get books like Shakespeare translated into Klingon now. Wow. Um, all right, so moving over to the Gorn. Um, uh, what an i what an iconic. Like, like from a Star Trek point, of, if you don't know, if you don't know Star Trek, you hear the gore and you're like, oh, it's gore. But if you know Star Trek, um, the opportunity to reprise, you know what what naysayers would go as a silly rubber suit, and what fans oh, would say no. is, I said naysayers, haters, said naysayers. follow what they are They're Haters. Um, but the opportunity to revisit as a as a CGI. What I mean, what was that? Well, tell us about that experience.
2: I was. 'cause I knew the original. I, and I showed I didn't really even know what I was doing um until I showed up to do it and like, Wow, look what I get to do. Um I, I always remembered the original and the fight on the planet and the um the foil eyes that they had to be made of tin foil. I mean it was uh it was such a different time and but you know, that original series you would suspend your disbelief and just go with it. It didn't matter. Well this one was all CGI, super slick, and but just as menacing. And I, I had so much fun. And it was late in the series; it was like it was the last season, I believe. Yeah. And it would have been awesome to have met them earlier on and, and have other opportunities to do other voices on that show. But we we all met up toward the end of the show, and you know, I got to do that one that one episode, and it felt like I was on the set. You know, I was again the picture was in front of me, and I was able to interact with the actors, and I think it turned out pretty well.
0: Um, did now So
1: you're saying that you actually was the was the Gorn actually animated that in the footage that you got to watch when you were doing it so you knew what was going on or you just saw the
2: actual raw footage? It was completed. I got oh, wow. to see it. That's so fun.
0: Now it, it, this I, again, questions to pop into my brain, but um do you watch every episode that you like that you do?
2: I try to. I can't always, but I try to. Um uh yeah, sometimes I miss them just because they—I don't catch them in time. Um, now it's easy because you can just see stuff online. But you know, years ago, if you missed it, you missed it.
0: Um. So, so when you because that—that's a really interesting episode, the one—the Gorn episode that you did, because that's I—that's uh, like not even actually an episode of Enterprise, because that's yeah, also yeah it's, a yeah. it's it's well, it's a it's a mirror universe. Um, what's so cool when you if you if you watch the rest of the show, it had this this terrible opening theme song that was like this pop song, and it was very bright and fluffy and bright and fluffy. It just didn't
1: fit, you know, with at, all the at, other Star Trek.
0: And then you're watching this week. You're not really sure what's coming up this week. Oh, enterprise is on. I'm finally going to watch it. You turn it on. The theme song comes on and it's just, this like brass. Bam, bam, bam. And instead of all these pictures of wonderful, like we're explorers pictures, it's just like death and destruction. Right. And, and it's just absolutely the, I'm like what's going on? <laughs> on Star Trek they've done like crossover mirror episodes before where like the good guys come come to this place. The good guys don't even ever come to this place.
1: Nope. It just,
0: mm-hmm. it's, oh. it's just it's it's a giant what if story. Um so it's two episodes that populates, you know, you could write entire books and books and I'm sure they exist um, about that and to be part of that's kind of cool.
2: That's the title in a mirror darkly.
1: Yes. Like, you're just kind of peeking in the other side. Like, it's the first time we have that. Like, in all the other instances, it's the good guys winding up, you know, through a transporter accident or what have you, or a wormhole mishap. They wind up in this mirror universe. But this is the first time when you sort of have, we're just over there checking shit out. Like, there's no real reason for it. Like, we're just seeing what's going on.
2: I would say my experience with that performance was a lot quicker than Star Trek Into Darkness. It was just boom, here it is, go. You know, I did an audition. Uh, they gave me a few lines. I jumped in, and it was probably done in 20 minutes.
0: Really? That's incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah much much <laughs> different than the other experience where we, we spent a long time on it.
0: Um, Hours. I want to make sure that we hit uh, uh, a couple more things, but um, I would be remiss um, if I did not mention this fact that uh, if you were to go... Minute per minute of screen time, uh, there is a giant movie that came out uh, just a couple months ago um, where a very talented actor played a very interesting character. But if you were to go minute per minute of produced screen time, there is another actor who has played Drax the Destroyer, uh, who has probably encompassed more minutes of screen time than that other very fine actor. Um, and that'd be you.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I just keep, they keep calling me up to do Drax. It's been awesome.
0: Um, d- does Drax evolve for you or like, like, are like, do, is it the same Drax in everything for you?
2: Like, uh, no, it evolves because the writing evolves and I get to find out more about him. Um, uh, Every, every time they put me in a new version of this. Uh, and he, in, Disney Infinity, in Disney Infinity, the video game that's just coming out, that actually has a ton of Drax in it, and you get to learn more. You know, eventually you sort of learn what he because uh, most of it I was recording before the movie existed. So I didn't have any reference, and um, apparently they have told me that uh, I may have actually been cast before Dave Bautista, because they were starting to promote this stuff so long ago. Um, but we end up having a fairly similar voice. His is you know, probably I'm probably playing him a little darker, a little, little lower than he is. And they're not really trying to base what I do on the movie so much, but just uh, the character. You know, evolving that character and uh, exploring who he is. And uh, those who've seen the movie know that he's not just a big blustery guy. You know, he's got emotions and he has a misunderstanding of things that aren't literal. And that's kind of the big, the big fun of the part, because if, if things aren't literal, he doesn't get it. And there's all sorts of things they can do with that.
1: So you're now, saying it- you did Disney Infinity the, when you were doing that. That was before the movie even came out?
2: Well, no. There, well, Yeah, well, I recorded it before the movie came out. But then you go back in time. I'm trying to find the first Drax thing that I did here. Because you know, I've done some guest appearances on the Marvel TV shows. And I think the first one we did was recorded over two years ago.
1: Wow. I'm actually super excited now because like, I have like the special edition of the of the Disney Infinity and I've been waiting to get C batteries because who has fucking C batteries? Like nobody, <laughs> everything, do you know what I mean? Like who uses those? Like it's A AA or AAA, right? Like what the fuck C batteries?
0: Yeah, so, like, Alex, literally- there's, a, there's a joke there that I'm just not gonna say, but there's a joke in my brain that because we have a guest, I'm just gonna leave You're it in gonna my be brain. good,
1: Okay, but I just got the batteries today. So I was like, I'm finally going to fire up Disney Infinity. I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to fire that shit up. It's going to be so cool. So now I think uh, the first character I'm going to play with is Drax because we've had this conversation. I'm going to be like, I'm putting Drax on. Yeah. It's going to be cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? So, did you see Guardians? Oh, of course. And and Loved it. Wh- what's the what's the experience like like as actors because I mean, you've done theater and we've all done th- all of us have done theater. So, all of us have played a part and then turned around and watched somebody else, even if it's just like someone else is doing this production of Christmas Carol. Let's see how they do, Jacob Marley. You know, that's like we've all experienced that. But on a on a large scale, given that you've done stuff on such large scale and then seeing this on a large scale, what what is the experience like? Of course, you, you admire the performance from an emotional perspective. What's it like to see that that unfold in front of you? Is it is it fascinating? I, I imagine it would be.
2: Well, to me, you know, aside from enjoying the movie as a whole, it's interesting seeing him as a professional up there doing what he does with it and just saying, oh, that's interesting. He does this. He does that. It's a a completely different medium, though. You know, he's live on camera acting it out. And I've got to kind of do the theater of the mind with it. So it's a it's a different approach. But it's just, you know, it's, it's almost like, in a sense, our performances are like cousins. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you ever find that you want to try to do more like on camera, like as the years have ticked by and, you know, you're out there and you're doing your thing? Like, have you had those opportunities? Have you wanted to or you have you been like, no, nah, I really I really dig what I'm doing for the most part and I'm not even interested in that other stuff?
2: Well, I have started to do some on camera. I've also started to direct on camera. So I've been doing a little bit of that lately. There was a, a science fiction kind of noir movie that I did called Sparks a couple of years ago. And we, that we, kinda... actually,
0: we actually had uh, um, uh, Clint uh, on um, and, uh, of course, Daniel brought us in. And, yeah, so we, we, we went there and we, we saw the D.C. premiere of it. So we, uh, we actually love Sparks.
2: Yeah, okay. we do. I had a lot of fun doing it. The, um, <laughs> there's special effects on the character that I played and it took three hours a day to put those on. All those practical special effects. So it was an interesting experience to even find out that I could do that um, because it, you have this locked-in feeling and some people freak out and some people don't. And then I ended up Producing and directing a movie called *The Dentros* that I'm just finishing. Tomorrow is my last day in post on it, and that's going to be out fairly soon with with Marriott Hartley and John Saxon and um, Eric Odom from *Twilight*. And we did this little movie where one of the characters uh, transforms into a creature, and our stunt. Double guy, uh, also an amazing actor, had to be in that kind of similar makeup, so it was quite fascinating, having been in it. I understood what he was going through, and luckily he was comfortable too. You just never know to you try it
1: did that How you you, react Did you think you were a little bit more understanding because you'd been there? <laughs>
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's not it's it's not like a regular actor. You have to really be careful and make sure that they're comfortable. You know, for heat and breathing and you know, all that stuff. You can't take it off without a lot of help. You don't know, just rip it off right. the face, they've got to you know, put creams and lotions and tinctures and stuff on you to get it off
1: geez so Um, what's it like acting through all of that like did you find like because you have such a background of using your voice and not really having the benefit of of using your face that like that made it easier to kind of act through all this makeup or like what
2: i I thought it was a really good way to get introduced back into on-camera acting because it was kind of something in between you know i had this mask on in a sense Mm -hmm. that i could act through i'm I'm doing a show right now called Mighty Med uh, for Disney XD. It's a live-action kids' show. It's a hospital for superheroes. And I'm pl- I'm playing this role called The Annihilator. There's a-, a fellow that actually does the on-camera work, but I do the voice for it, so kind of a similar thing. I'm sort of making these unusual transitions into on-camera. When I did um, Army of Two Devils Cartel, and I played Rios, uh, that was an on-camera role, and they scanned my face for it. So... Those were are very lucky to get these, these great roles that get me back into it. Now I'm going to start doing more where there's no special effects makeup, and I just have to act on camera. And I've, cause i because I trained to do it years ago, and now I, I get to do it again. But after doing all the voice work, I, I need a little bit of a sort of step up into it. And I think I got that, and I was very fortunate to have that. But uh, yeah, that, here's my big note about acting in that special effects makeup. It's really important to not let the makeup act for you. It would be easy just to, oh, I'm a creature, and this happens a lot in Star Trek, too. If you're playing one of those creatures, a Kardashian or something, you don't want to just walk around in that that suit, so to speak. You want to make sure that inside of you, you're really feeling everything and acting everything fully, because the audience will be able to see that a mile away.
0: Um, but before we jump uh, jump ship to uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about, which is uh, your experience directing, um, any opportunity I have to shout out uh, uh, Chris Fellino's incredible film Sparks, which is right. on which is on Xbox. Um, uh, we had William Cat, and then Chris uh, Chris has been a friend to us. Um, yes. uh, it is. If you if you like indie films, you guys listening, and you like uh, and you like like the tone of a film like Watchmen. Um, uh, this is. Uh, this is a film he shot in with almost no money, in incredibly little time. That looks like a multi-million-dollar superhero noir film. It is a stunning um, and really interesting piece of uh, of superhero de- deconstruction. So, anybody listening, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Uh, not just because they're friends of our show, Sparks is astounding.
2: Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up because you know I. I I really want this film to be seen by people, and I'm really proud of Chris for making the effort to do it. Now that I've made a couple of small indie films on my own, I understand what he went through, and it it's not it's not easy to create these things that um, the labor of love stuff, where you're you're asking a lot of favors from people, and you're you're spending some of your own money, some of uh, other people's money that are trusting you, and just trying to create something great. And I think he did an amazing job. And you get to see me bite off Clancy Brown's finger.
1: Right? Who doesn't <laughs> want to see that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Cool And I, I'm looking at it right now. I have the finger that I bit off, the, the fake one. Oh, do you have it? That's so cool. And the, uh, the special teeth they made for me. They're right here in my collection. Do you
1: get to keep that stuff?
2: Yeah, they let me have it.
1: That's so cool. Do you ever, like, take it out and just, like, goof off?
2: Um, No, because it gets kind of nasty after a while. You wouldn't want to really... Move it around or you could show it to people, but you'd want to have it in a plastic bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not really sanitary anymore.
2: <laughs> no. I wouldn't put that in my mouth anymore.
0: Um anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you you heard of her here first. Um so uh <laughs> um Sorry, we were terrible people. <laughs> um uh, Daniel did show you and tell you what this show was like, right? Right. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh so um the last thing i want to talk about because i because this is uh something a, a leap that i made um uh when uh you you are a successful actor who uh is now going into directing i was a moderately uh locally moderately successful actor who i found more success with the ninjas movies um i i and i share with you that that intense labor of love, fear. Uh, I heard some, I forget who said I, and I'm, I can't quote it now, but that, uh, that the creation of art is somewhere between, um, uh, uh, somewhere between the height of arrogance and the depths of fear. And in Mm -hmm. between those two points is where art is made. Um, uh, and uh, I didn't understand that until uh, I read the first reviews for Ninjas vs. Zombies. Luckily, the reviews for Monsters have been much more positive. Um, I, tell me about Faithful.
2: Oh, uh, Faithful, our first film, the first film that I directed with Josh Keaton from Green Lantern and Yuri Lowenthal from Ben 10, and Yuri wrote it, and it's about a god that doesn't want you to believe in him. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, my first, and you know what? I walked on the set And I knew how to deal with actors, but I didn't know any of the technical stuff. I've never gone to film school. We hired all this crew, and I just said, look, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This is what I know how to do, and this is what I don't know how to do. So please help me. And these two films have been my film school. I've learned what I'm doing, and I'm not, you know, still have tons and tons and tons to learn. But, boy, I know a lot more than when the first uh, first (laughs) scene was, was shooting, and I didn't even know when to call action.
0: So is that, is the other film sovereign? What is, what is the other, the, the, you said the two films I have, uh, I know about faithful. Is there, there's another one as well?
2: Well, there's Faithful and the Dentro is the one I was talking about with the special effects makeup and, uh-huh. and Marriott Hartley and John Saxon. And uh, Sovereign is a film that I'm working on, um, consulting on. I'm an associate producer on that. And I'm, right now, we're going through the editing process, and I'm, in a sense, helping to direct the edit. I was brought in in post-production to, uh, to help work on the story and, and work on the scenes, and, and that's been fun, too.
0: Um, how is
1: that different from actually, like, directing, directing? Like, do you, like so you, since you've done two films sort of, like, where you directed all yourself, like, this is something that I've always found interesting because I, I don't know very much about, like, I'm starting to learn since we're doing this, you know, documentary and we're starting to get into the editing phase. Like, how much input is there from a directorial point of view once you're into the edit? Or is it just like you pass that off to the editor and then they, like, just do whatever?
2: With my, I know that I'll I'll continue to work like this. Three quarters of the directing is in the edit. I'm sitting there and crafting the scenes from the coverage that we have.
0: Okay. It's I, I was uh talking to a uh, a friend of ours out here who's making a film called Z Con. I was having a conversation with Mike Doherty and he uh he uh he and I were talking about the process of editing and as a director I couldn't imagine uh letting like I I know that there are incredible editors, incredibly talented editors who can work with directors and they make something amazing. But I, for me to, you know, I write my scripts, I shoot my films. Uh, uh, I I am involved every step of the way. The idea of handing it to someone else um, is like saying, I birthed this baby, go raise it. Um, (laughs) Well, sometimes
2: I'll hand scenes. You know, like in in Dentro's, the opening scene is uh, just sort of looking at the happier times they had before the chaos that happens in the film, and it's a scene where they're playing cards. Well, we just shot it without any script. I said, actually, play a game of cards and have fun and talk and just banter with each other. And I asked the editor. I said, here's all the footage of the card game. Just cut a few things together, and we'll see how it goes. And I only made minor changes to that. Everything else, I heavily, heavily worked on, but that. I wanted it just to f- sort of feel loose. So th- in that case, I gave that to the editor to work on and he, he came back with something I was happy with for the most part, but all the other stuff I've been shaping it for 15 months. Wow. That's It'd a lot. Work. Out for a while. Tomorrow's my last day. it's, it's amazing to be done with it.
0: Um, well, I am, I, I, I hope that you keep in touch and let us, uh, let us see it. Um, of course, uh, when monsters comes out, I'll make sure that Dano forwards a copy to you as well. Um sure. Um, uh, for someone who uh, saves their voice, uh, you for something that you save, you've been incredibly giving. Yes, um, you have. <laughs> um, and I uh, and we are like you've taken us on a journey and 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 thank you.
2: You're welcome. and Thank you for asking me to be on the show. And um, of course, send me a link so I can find it. I want to listen and hear the feedback.
0: Um, absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is David Soboloff, um, voice actor, director, on-screen actor, producer and uh, and collector of incredible things. Um, uh, uh, so thank you. We have everyone who uh, who comes on. Uh, we asked to repeat uh, Alexia's catchphrase, we which do. is which which is
1: which is Trek off, bitches. Um, what I haven't decided, see, like, what would be correct would be to have you do it as the Gorn, if you wouldn't mind. But what I really want to hear is you do it as Bumble Blast. <laughs> okay, sure. Or actually, you know what, can I be, like, super needy? Can Can you do both? <laughs> that would be so cool. I'm so yeah. terrible. Well, I
2: guess the um the Bumble Blast one would be, like, um, trick off, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so Lobo, we could do a whole bunch like um, Lobo we didn't even talk about Lobo at all but Lobo would be like "Trek off bitches
1: because
2: nice. he's more of a screamer yeah and, and Robocop um, Trek off bitches
1: oh my ah. god <laughs>
2: and then the Gorn the Gorn if I remember would be like this let's see Trek off Bitches.
0: Hi. <laughs> uh, uh, if, if you could just please say that in every character you've, no, I'm kidding. man. Um, that, <laughs> <dicks, yeah>. um,
1: <laughs> that was incredibly generous. Thank you so much. That's awesome.
0: Um, can we have you on the show again? Let's say let's play like, as a few months go by and, and just, I, I could, I, I, there's so much we didn't touch. I could just talk to you forever, but, uh, but can, would you really right. come back sometime? Yeah, of course. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, David Sobolev. That was a great interview. Yeah, right? That was an insane interview where insane things happen. No, okay. So we've recorded. This is the outro. Uh, behind the scenes, let's pe- peer behind the curtain. We're recording this uh, before we do the interview. So, now but you know, I know. It's
1: great. <laughs> it, it's going
0: <gotta> to be great. <laughs> can
1: I just say because I was just listening to like him being all, all like he has such a cool voice. Can I just say like I I totally get why he gets a lot of work.
0: <laughs> so, check this out. You guys are cooler than us and here's why. You guys listening right now know what happened in that interview, but we recording don't know yet. No,
1: yet. So you actually know like
0: travel thing. You guys now know more than <laughs> we do about our conversation.
1: What, what? what just happened? What That's amazing. What?
0: That's incredible. You you got trapped in a temporal eddy. Jargon, 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 the the chroniton particles. (laughs) Can I tell you how often
1: Mr. A does that? He's like, it was the jargon in the jargon, in the jargon.
0: (laughs) Um. Listen, special thanks to, uh, to David Soboloff for coming on, uh, our show, um, and, uh, for agreeing to be part of this, um, Drax the Destroyer himself, um, and, and uh, bubble
1: Blast, that's what makes me happy.
0: And thanks to Daniel Ross uh, for for helping us you know, set all that yeah, up. Yeah,
1: and for being, you know, Daniel Ross.
0: Um, So we're going to... Because we're supposed uh, to, wait.
1: we should have the moment of silence. We're supposed to have a moment of silence for him.
0: Wow, that's like episode five. Right? That's like a hundred episodes ago. I'm just saying. Hey, hey I, have, I have a project. Will somebody out there go count how many episodes we've done and tell us?
1: <laughs> tell us how many ago have
0: away. we crossed 100 now is there over 100 hours of Trekoff off out there now? that's what that's, I want to know uh, so New York uh, come to Dis- Discovery Times Square come see us more information tell go your to their friends go tell their, their, to have
1: them tell their yeah. friends Yeah, and their and friends come, is friends
0: is <laughs> um come to us and and come and,
1: to uh, us i like that to
0: us. <laughs> and listen to um, us. this may or may not happen but right now in case somehow we're not able to put it all together for an interview with paul sieber or John Broughton, uh if you're a fan of the star star trek farragut series uh who were so kind to us in shooting the movie um please go check out their kickstarter and give them a hand because they yeah. could use it and totally. they were helpful to us so um yes that's it man uh Thank you for coming on the Trek Off show, um, David Sobolev. And thank you, my dear co-host. My name is Justin.
1: And my name is Alexia.
0: Trek Off.
1: Trek Off, bitches.
0: Do, 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 That's me singing. Bye.
1: I noticed. <laughs>
0: So you just finished the episode and you're like, hey, that was fun. I'd like more Trek Off to put in my ear hole, to put into my brain part. Well, that's really easy. All you gotta do is go to trekoffpodcast.com. There's over a hundred hours of trek off. It's free. Just go there, trekoffpodcast.com or search iTunes or whatever pod feed you use, or trekoffpodcast.com. That's really easy. You can also like us on Facebook where you'll hear information about everything that we do. Like us there, especially hearing about TrekoffMovie.com. That's our movie. We're making a movie based on this. The trailer's there, links are there, trekoffmovie.com, trekoffpodcast.com. Thank you for listening and Trek Off.